as I start with a short story, I'd like you to open up to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Please open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1 as we get started. I have a short story for you of a little boy praying to God. And it goes like this. The little boy says, and all this is in capital letters, bold letters, and it says, Lord, you know my ninth birthday will be here soon. Please give me a skateboard. I really need a skateboard. Troy yelled so loud that his mother ran from the kitchen to his upstairs bedroom, standing over her kneeling son. She advised, Troy, the Lord isn't hard of hearing. You don't have to shout to be heard. Then Troy replied, I know, Mom, but I want Grandpa, who's on the front porch, to hear me too. <laughs> We're going to be talking about prayer today. Not really in that sense, but it was a funny little story to just get you thinking about prayer. As we continue this series in the book of Ephesians, this series titled, Building a New You. Ephesians, it's been referred to as the church's epistle or the church's letter, the believer's bank, or the Christian's checkbook, a checkbook which never runs dry, never empties, the checks never bounce, your debit card never gets rejected. It is the treasure house of the Bible, a guide for spiritual health and maturity, or what some have called a survival manual for Christians. And some of you know what I mean by that. Some of you have studied this book greatly. Some of you have looked to this book greatly as you felt yourself in need to be reminded of your blessings your great spiritual blessings that the church has, God's people has, Christ's people have. Others maybe have read this book to re be reminded of the responsibilities we have. Some of us need to read this book to be reminded of the spiritual blessings we have and the responsibilities we have. This letter by Paul is to Ephesus and those maybe surrounding Ephesus, those who are going to receive and read this letter, and it's all wrote to remind and teach those of the blessings and responsibilities of which the church have. Now, it's not of what the church has to come. Now, some of that may be true as well, but it's also what we have now. And too often we fail to remember these things. We fail to look to these things. And maybe we need reminded of these things today. Maybe you need to remind somebody sitting beside you or somebody at home, your neighbor or friend or family member. This is the bodybuilding book for Christians. It is the holy, godly-inspired book, which is all about building up the body of Christ. And that's why we call it building a new you. God is building a new you. Every day, he's making you more and more into the image of his son. Please follow along in your own Bibles. I hope you have it open to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll also have it on the screen for you. But it won't be on the screen the entire time, so it's great if you have it open as well. Starting at verse 1 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, we read this. I'll read from the screen here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now we're reading the whole chapter today because we are finishing the chapter today. Glory, hallelujah, praise the Lord, right? I want you to be reminded of where we've been so you can see where we're going. And at verse 2, we read on grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's important to see that we have been blessed 
the Ephesians, those who read this letter in us who follow Christ are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, verse five, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making, to, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who is all things, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let me pause here for a moment as we transition. This is the section we'll be focusing on today. We'll be focusing on verses 15 to 23 as we work to finish this chapter. And a lot to talk about. In fact, I struggled writing down my sermon notes this week because I just feel like it is all application. There's so much here to discover, to be reminded of, to learn from. We see thanksgiving and prayer. We see praying for others in the glory of God. We see marks of the true Christian church. Let's read on. In verse 15, we read this, for this reason... For this reason, now commentators say, pastors say, for this reason, you can be looking backwards to all that he said up to this point, but you can also look forward to what he's about to say and what we'll be discovering and studying today. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Notice I love this, this, this section of scripture, how it doesn't de-escalate as it gets to the end of this chapter. I feel like it just keeps escalating and escalating as it continues to glorify God, as it continues to teach, as it continues to remind as he may have ended one section of praise, one part of the song, one long sentence in verses 3 to 14, but now he is still celebrating. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, enlightened in one translation says, flooded open. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened or flooded open that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? And finally, 
In verse 20, we read that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. Praise the Lord. This is just great, great doctrine here to learn from, to apply to our lives, to be taught and reminded of, and to yield to the truth. We move forward today. The last few weeks we have focused on, praise, on Paul praising God, celebrating the blessed, the blessed, and the blessings. We had like a three-week mini-series there on Paul celebrating having a praise song to God. The longest sentence, or one of the longest sentences in the New Testament in Greek here, Paul just got so excited about what he was telling the, the Ephesians here that he just couldn't stop and put a period. He couldn't stop and take a breath. We move on, though. That took us four weeks to get through, and now we're going to try to get one week here, one Sunday, and get through this last section. But as we come to the end of this chapter in Ephesians, I want you to notice that Paul may have completed one song, one praise, one celebration, but he does not stop celebrating. He's still celebrating God for election, for redemption, for salvation, and having an inheritance, but he changes his direction. He changes his gaze from looking upon the blessings that he has personally, the mutual blessings that we all have as believers in Christ, as those who have trusted in him as Lord, to now he's thanking God. He's praising God, and he's praying to God for the specific workings in individuals. Now his praise or song may have ended, but he doesn't stop celebrating, and neither should we. As we begin this section, we see Paul celebrating God's working in individuals' lives. And we see a great model for our own life, too. Starting with this, number one, first... And these aren't the points for the sermon. This is just a great model. We see a great model in this, in this end of chapter 1 for how we can live and pray and praise God. First, we need to be quick to celebrate God's workings in our lives and others. And so often we're so quick to celebrate God's workings in our lives, but we fail to see and recognize and praise God's workings in other lives. Second, celebration should lead to prayer. Celebration should lead to prayer as we praise God for his works, his blessings, of which he has so graciously blessed us with. And then finally, third, finally, when praying, we can follow Paul's example by praying for others into the glory of God. Praying for others into the glory of God. And that's what we're going to be working towards and working most of today's message on. It's talking about praying to others into the glory of God. What is it that Paul prays for? What is it that he recognizes? Is what is it that he petitions to God for? It's not just for himself. It's not just for his needs. And our prayers shouldn't just be about ourselves and for our needs either. But first, before we get to the prayer, let's recognize that Paul starts with celebrating God's working in individuals' lives. The outworking of the blessings that he has been singing of. Paul saying this great long scripture reference, this long, this long sentence in verse 3 to 14 praising God for the mutual blessings which we all have. And then he speaks of and he celebrates that, look, these people have this. 
Praise the Lord, great. Let's read chapter 1, verse 15. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Paul celebrates the working of God in these people's lives. But what are these workings? He listed quite clearly for us. One, they have come to join him in faith in Jesus. Two, they have shown love towards other believers. Faith and love. Faith and love, these are characteristics of a true Christian. Faith and love. It is by faith that we are saved and it is by his love. And love comes out of our newfound faith as well. Faith. Paul celebrates hearing of their faith. It's one thing to teach people. It's one thing to tell them about all these things. But then as a teacher, you should celebrate when you hear these people have come to know God. When they've come to Christ in faith. And when they have love. As those are characteristics of a true Christian. Let me ask you, how often do you celebrate someone's coming to faith in Jesus. Maybe a family member, a friend, a neighbor, maybe a total stranger, maybe it's a waitress. Maybe you're at a restaurant and you just strike up this conversation with your waitress or you make little comments, little quotes of scripture just asking, do you know where salvation comes? Do you have hope today? Do you know of the love of Jesus? And they say, yep, I know of Jesus. Do you just say, okay, and leave it alone? Or do you say, praise the Lord, I'm excited to hear that. Thank you for sharing that with me. Do you go beyond? When was the last time you heard of someone's faith in Jesus and you celebrated? And then the celebration led to praise of God and prayer to him. I know how it is. Sometimes we can get so busy with our own things, our own checklist. Or maybe you, you hear somebody coming to the Lord, but you don't, you don't know them. And you just think, oh, that's great. But we should be celebrating this news. Paul celebrates this news. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. He'll go on to say he remembers of him, them in his prayers. Let's take a step further here. Paul is writing these people, telling them of his celebration. Do you tell people of your celebration? When you hear of this great news, sometimes it can be awkward, but do you go to that person and say, Mr. Lee, I heard the great news. I had to think of somebody wouldn't embarrass. Lee, you're hard to embarrass, right? You got Mona next to you. We love Lee and Mona. But seriously, do we tell people? Do we tell people that, hey, we heard this news and we're celebrating it, we're remembering it, and we're praying to God on your behalf? And as we let them know that news, first of all, it's encouraging. It's uplifting. As somebody says, you heard about me? You heard this? And maybe they'll be bashful. Maybe they'll be a little humble. And they say, oh, well, it's not really a big deal. And you can say, yes, it is. And then you have the opportunity to ask if you can disciple them too. You can ask them, let me ask you, do you have a Bible? Do you know how to read the Bible? Do you have anybody to read the Bible with? Has anybody helped lead you to a devotion yet? maybe to a Christian radio station or to some praise songs, you have great opportunity to encourage them, to uplift them, but also to convict them or to challenge them to live a different life, a new life, a godly life, a righteous life. Because as you tell them, I've heard, that's what Paul is saying, I have heard 
of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Now they know people are listening. People are watching. And I need to change my life. Let them know that you remember them in prayer. Paul is not celebrating just any type of coming to faith. He's not celebrating a faith that today will be better than yesterday, although that's true. He's not celebrating faith in a, in a friendship or a love, although that is true. He's not celebrating faith in a job or a hobby or a boss. That's not true. Paul is celebrating the saving faith of Jesus by accepting him as Lord, as they have, because he's heard it. He's heard it. You can't believe all rumors, though, can you? And that's another reason why it's good to go directly to that person and ask them about it. This is faith that matters. It's a life-defining faith. And next, Paul celebrates their love of fellow believers. Love towards others is a natural side effect of faith in Jesus. Let me say that again. Love towards others should be a natural side effect of faith in Jesus. Loving others is also evidence of our faith. And I see the blue didn't show up too well, but it says it's evidence of a radically transformed life and understanding of what one has been gifted. Gifted. We've been gifted such great love through Jesus that our lives should naturally reciprocate and bleed and ooze that same love to those around us too. Listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 9 to 11 as I read it. 1 John 2, 9 to 11. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him. There's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. It's kind of convicting, isn't it? It's challenging. It's, it's great news to see how if we love, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness, but whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him. There's a difference here between those in Christ and those still living in the darkness without hope, without love, without joy. Loving others is not only an evidence of our faith in Jesus, but it's commanded by God himself. Loving others is not optional. It's required, but it shouldn't be hard for Christians, for we have received such great love through God's gracious gift of Christ. When Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment in Matthew 22, he stated to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. John 15, 12 says, John 15, 12 for your note takers. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And then later in Ephesians 4.32, Paul says, Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. God's word is full of scripture referencing love. Both God's love to us and our love to others. And in fact, I'm only going to share a couple more here. But a quick, quick, quick Google search shows that there is anywhere from 300 references up to 1,000 references to the word love in the Bible, depending on what translation you use. And of those different words or instances of love being spoke of in the Bible, there's different meanings behind that word too. There's intimate love. There's friendship love. There's love from God to us. There's love to us, to others, to believers, 
to all people. There's many different references, and that's for another day. But Jesus also says that they will know that you are my disciples by your love. Do people know that you're his disciple? Do they know that you show love? 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. You see, Paul looks upon these people, and after he gets so excited with this praise song, this celebration of what they mutually have, now he says, I've heard what you have, and I'm celebrating with you, for I heard of your faith in Jesus, and I've heard of your love to the saints. And this leads him to prayer. Paul's celebration leads to the prayer, and another great model for us to see and follow both for others and ourselves. He starts with making sure that they know of his continual thanking of God for them. And an application for us, we need to make sure people know that we're praying for you. We're continuing to praise God for your salvation, and we're praying for you. Let's read once again verse 16 to 19. In your Bibles, I don't have it up front. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. This is his prayer. This is what he's saying he's praying for these people for. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, flooded open, open up the gates and let it flood that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the workings of his great might? As we look to this prayer, first we see Paul prays in verse 17 that God would give them wisdom. Now, this isn't just any wisdom. This isn't wisdom as maybe you're in school and you're hearing this wisdom, but it's going out one ear, uh, in one ear, out the other. It's not a wisdom that you just think, oh, I'll never need this. This type of wisdom that he speaks of is from God. It's not useless for all wisdom from God is useful. All his word is useful. All of his purposes is useful. His will is, per is useful. His gifts are useful. This isn't a wisdom which goes in one ear and out the other, but it's a wisdom which should be effectively and practically applied to daily life. Let me say that again. God's wisdom should be effectively and practically applied to daily life. Effectively and practically applied to daily life. Applying divine truth to everyday circumstances so that God might be glorified and seen in us so that God might be glorified and seen in us. Boy, oh boy, Ephesians is just full of applications. I know a gentleman, actually, you all know him. I'll say his name. Maybe he's going to watch Jim Springer, a good friend of many of us. And Jim Springer always says at the men's Bible studies on Thursday morning when he shows up, <laughs> he says at the end, see, that's a call to come, Jim. He, he says at the end, but what is the application, Patrick? What is the application, Tim? Tim's smiling, he's shaking his head. I think you can remember Jim saying that. It's, it's one thing to preach, it's one thing to teach, but you need to make sure that you bring it into your life too and say, but what is application? And make sure you don't twist the application to just fit you. But look, what was the meaning in this day, in this context, and how does this apply to our life as well? 
Well, here's the thing. This whole chapter is full of application, and here's another one. We, too, should be praying for divine godly wisdom upon fellow believers, others, and yourself. We, too, should be praying for divine godly wisdom upon fellow believers, others, and ourselves. We should be praying that the the church would know God deeply. That's the meaning of this word that's used here for wisdom, that we would know God deeply. When was the last time you prayed for this? And not just for yourself. I know I pray that all the time. You probably do too. God, give me wisdom. How do I I respond to this situation? God, give me wisdom. What, What should I do with this friendship, with this person that hurt me? God, Give me wisdom. What should I do with my finances? What should I do with with what college to go to? What major to pick? God, what should I do in in this job? We ask for God for wisdom all the time, but do we pray for our fellow believers? Lord, give this person wisdom. Give them the knowledge of you. Help them to know deeply of their salvation which they have in Christ. Help them to know deeply of the inheritance that they have. Help them to know deeply of the sealing which they have of the Spirit. Help them to know deeply of their predestination that they are elected and they are sons of God. Help them to know deeply of the great spiritual blessings of which we have all been blessed with. We too need to pray that we would know God deeply. And knowing God and being wise are tied together. True wisdom is only found through knowing God. Or as one pastor said, I believe it was Pastor Tony Evans, he said, trying to be wise without knowing God is like trying to fly an airplane without having the knowledge to do so or a tower to help guide you. We all need God's knowledge to live righteous lives and his guidance to see what we can't. Dave Meisner, I don't know if he's in here, but he knows how to fly planes. I bet you if I could see him right now, he would raise his hand and he would say, yeah, you don't want to try and go up in a plane without knowing how to fly that plane, without having the proper guidance, being instructed on doing so. Or his wife there would shake her head and say, yep, he'll crash and burn. And he almost did crash and burn once, I hear. Praise God, he's still with us. We need God's knowledge to live righteous lives and his guidance to see what we can't or we will crash and burn. Without his word, without the knowledge of his word that the Holy Spirit helps us to understand, we crash and burn every single day. But with his knowledge of his word and with abiding to his word, abiding to his truth, abiding to him as as Lord, we can live righteous lives and for his sake, for his glory, for his will. Paul prays in verse 18 for enlightenment of their hearts. Specifically, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, verse 18 says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Notice, one, that they would know the hope that they have been called to through Jesus. We have many friends in this life. You may have many friends on social media, at work, in the community, but you don't truly know all those friends. Some of them are just acquaintances. Some of them you just went to high school with. Maybe some of them you just knew them in high school. You weren't even friends with them at all. You just walked by them in class, but for some reason we friend them on Facebook or in our life. We try and make connection. Paul is praying that we would know, that the Ephesians would know Jesus. They would know God deeply, not just like some acquaintance, not be satisfied with just some little bit of knowledge, but they would truly know him deeply. 
than that they would understand the hope and blessings they had been called through through him. And number two, as we read this verse in verse 18, we see the riches of his glorious inheritance. An inheritance only for the saints. It says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? You are saints in Jesus Christ as Lord. You are set apart by him. And as saints, you're a part of a new family, part of God's family in the church of Jesus. This comes with a distinct purpose. You're saved through him, a divine purpose. God has called you, and with that comes a wealth of blessings. And those who trust in Jesus have wealth of spiritual blessings, a wealth of spiritual blessings. Or as one pastor said, there are no spiritually poor in the family of God. I think I need to hear that a little bit more often. Maybe you do too. There are no spiritually poor in the family of God. Because sometimes we have pity parties for ourselves and we just think, oh, woe is me. I'm so poor. I'm so weak. I I don't know what to do. I I don't have anything. I don't have friends. I don't have, I'm not speaking specifically of me. Thank you, friends. But we're not spiritually poor in the family of God. We have great spiritual blessings. We have every Blessing in the heavenly places, his word tells us. Verse 3, every spiritual blessings. In verse 3 to 14, Paul has been praising God as he teaches and reminds us of these blessings. Blessings, which he refers to as an inheritance, and this inheritance is only available to Jesus. And here's the great thing. Jesus already died for us so that we can have this inheritance now. And it's not about knowing a guy. It's not about knowing a person. It's about knowing him. It's about knowing a Savior. It's about knowing God through Jesus and having the Holy Spirit a helper within you. But here's the problem. Many Christians are living as if they're spiritually poor. It's living as if they have no wealth, as if they have no valuable possessions. And yet here we are with a vault beside us. And all we need to do is put in that combination to the lock, which we've received through Christ. Open it up and let it flood out into our lives. Paul here prays that they would be enlightened. He prays that the flood would open up and that they would be enlightened with this knowledge. Paul here prays that they would be enlightened to the riches which they have received through their inheritance. It's one thing to know about it. It's another thing to actually use it. Or another way to put it is it's one thing to know of the blessings, but it's another thing to fully understand them, appreciate them, and use them continually. And that's what we should do. We should know the blessings We should understand the blessings, we should appreciate the blessings, and we should use them continually. Remember, God will always give his church and true followers what is needed to fulfill his purpose. But that makes us ask ourselves, is our purpose aligned with God's purpose? Is what we're praying for, what we're asking for, aligning with God's purpose and his glory? Or is it trying to align with our own purpose, our own wants, our own desires, our own glory? Is what we're asking for in his timing? Or is it just that we want it now in our own timing? Does it glorify him and go along with his teachings, his will, and his plan, which we see in his word? Because if it doesn't go along with his plan, with his purpose, with his will, with his teachings, he will not give it. Paul prays in verse 19 as we move forward for understanding of this greatness and power of God 
of which they now have. He starts to conclude this message, but again, not with de-escalating, with escalating as he talks about the sovereignty of God, as he talks about Christ being placed at his right hand. He prays that they would understand what is called the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Verse 19 says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might. Paul reminds readers, us included, of what is to come. But this isn't just what is to come. This is what we have at the moment of salvation. It's not that we need to be looking forward just to what's coming. But we can recognize we already have great power through the resurrection of Jesus. Paul prays that these believers would understand this greatness that they received. Notice that Paul just doesn't say that they would know God's power. But he says that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power. God's power is more than anything we can imagine. It's immeasurable. But through the Holy Spirit, we can be helped to understand what it means. Let me tell you what it means. God's power is more than anything we can imagine. It's immeasurable. It's more than enough. It's more than capable. It's more than able. It's more than what is ever needed to accomplish great things and to take care of his children. The immeasurable greatness and power is available to those who believe in him, who trust in him. What is this power? How do we understand it? Well, verse 20 to 23 says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What does this immeasurable greatness and power of God look like? Verse 20 to 23 tells us of it. It tells of the greatness and power God exercised in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. What does this mean for us? It means that the same God who raised Christ from the dead, the same God who sat him, Jesus, by his side, is the same God who is our Father. He's the same God who we have a restored relationship with. He's the same God who's looking over us. He's the same God involved in our lives. The same God who has such greatness and power is looking after you with a purpose and a plan for his glory. And when we read that all things will bring glory to him. That includes you. You and your life can bring and will bring glory to him in one way or the other. All people will bow to him in one way or another. And at some time or another, he will do great things through you. Think your life is terrible? Be reminded of the great spiritual blessings you have. Think your life is terrible? Be reminded of the hope that you have in him. Be reminded that he is still ringing above. Jesus Christ is now seated above every ruler, authority, power, and dominion. Verse 20, 21 tells us. You see, Jesus not only lives forevermore, but he also rings forevermore. And he's ruling even now. He has a plan for now. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for the future and hope for you. We can be reminded by this that whatever is happening to us now, there is a purpose in. He's still in full control, and we can look to him for his power. Nothing in this life needs to define you except for him. Nothing in this life needs to control you except for him. 
Look to him, submit to him, see the great spiritual blessings you have, but also see the responsibilities that we have. This scripture also reminds us that he is the head of the church, appointed by God the Father. We are his, he is ours. But I think sometimes we get that backwards. We think that he's it, he is ours, and because of that we try and mold Jesus, we try and mold God into what we want him to be instead of seeing that we are his and we need to mold ourselves or allow him to mold us into who he wants us to be. Christ fills the church with his presence. He is the head and we are the body. We don't fill Christ, he fills us. But that's better because as Christ fills us, he fills us with great spiritual blessings. He fills us with strength. He fills us with life. Let's get to some final applications as we work to end Grace fuels and ignites heartfelt praise. That's what we see in the scripture. We see Paul talking about the grace, the faith, the love that he's hearing of and seeing in Ephesians. And as he sees this grace, it fuels and ignites heartfelt praise. So if we're feeling sluggish, we need to focus on this chapter. In the amazing grace of our triune God. Paul hears of how God's grace has impacted these people and he praises God. And we too, when we hear of God's grace impacting people's lives, we should be praising God. We should be seeking his face and singing his praises, just as Paul does here. We should be praying for others and yourself to know him deeply. I think each of us will take something different away from the scripture today. I know that's one that hit me deeply today. Is do you pray that others would deeply know him, that the church as a whole would deeply know him, be growing in him so deeply that the people around you will see what's flowing out of our lives. Study his word, pray for him, pray to him, pray for others. And then finally, I want to close with this challenge. As it relates to a quote I shared last week, and this is another quote I found in I, can't, I don't know who said it, but I just love the quote. It says, it's so related to what we study. It said, the gospel whets our appetite for God. Take Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1 and make it into your prayer for other believers and yourself. Store up your heart with the glory of God's grace to desire to know him better. Pray fervently for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to give you more illumination about the riches of Jesus Christ. What a great word to end on. Thank you for joining me in Ephesians chapter 1. Let's close in prayer and we'll have a song. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the great spiritual blessings that we have as saints, as those set apart by your love, the love of Christ. Lord, we thank you for through you we are greatly blessed. We have an inheritance, Lord, and we have a sealing of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we just pray. For all these things, we pray that we would know you deeply, that others would know you deeply, that the church would be growing deeply in our knowledge of you, and that it would be overflowing for all to see, so that you would be glorified as people see you in us, in our lives, and in the workings of your people. It's in your holy and powerful name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we close in song.
for joining us in worship this morning. As we leave, I remind you that we do have Sunday school. We'd love to have you join us in our final day. And then also remind you that we do have the funeral service for Marsha Ritchie at 2.30 this afternoon. Please be in prayer for the family, for the friends, for all that today. Thank you. You're dismissed. scares me, Mike, being pointed down. <laughs>